Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm here to share an incredible work with you. Just a quick reminder before we get started. All sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on our Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Welcome to Season 7. This time around, I'll be covering Romanticism and Realism. These styles represent a return to highlighting human emotion, so it should be an interesting ride. To kick things off, I'm going to be discussing La Grande Adelisque by Jean-Auguste Dominique Ang, painted in 1814. This work is exotic, brash, and just a little bit weird. So, to learn more, then keep on listening. In this piece, we see a beautiful young woman stretched out on a bed. She is completely nude. A peacock fan, some jewelry, and a turban are her only adornments. The woman makes eye contact with us, but her expression is a bit hard to read. On one hand, there's a certain sadness to her eyes. On the other hand, there's a hint of an invitation. The woman lies on a sumptuous bed framed by a thick velvet turquoise curtain. There's also a hookah on the right-hand corner. All of these details are meant to show us that she is a woman of, quote, oriental harem, as understood by the 19th century French. I'll explain this more in detail later in the episode. This is what the term adolesque means. She's inviting us to find pleasure in the harem. One of the most shocking elements of this work is the almost otherworldly appearance of the woman's body. Her back and limbs seem too long, while her neck and head seem too small. One of the most common criticisms is that she appears to have too many vertebrae. In fact, a doctor performed a medical study on this piece and concluded that she had an estimated five extra vertebrae in her spine. In addition, the way she twists her body to look at us seems like a painful and unnatural pose. These details led to criticism of Aang and his work. The critics believe that Aang didn't understand how the human body worked and he didn't take the time to learn. Accurate representation was a key part of the neoclassical era and Aang was going against the mold. He did know how to represent the human body, but he chose to make his own adjustments to lend to the exotic nature of the subject. This artistic license with the human form represents Aang's break with neoclassicism. At the beginning of his career, Aang worked with the master of neoclassicism and past podcast subject, Jacques-Louis David, but he felt as if the style didn't convey enough human emotion. Life was filled with feelings, but neoclassical art seemed to be doing their best to suppress it. So Aang made a break for it and started to create his own style. However, it's important to note that it wasn't an entirely clean break. He tended to favor many of the same subjects, such as historical figures. But what to call this new style? Today, it's most often referred to as either Orientalism or the beginnings of Romanticism. It's important to note that Orientalism during this era did not refer to the Far East. Instead, it was a term that referenced the areas of present-day Turkey, Greece, the Middle East, and North Africa. This stemmed from French imperialism that started with Napoleon and Algeria and Egypt. The areas were further expanded and studied when the field of biblical archaeology became popular. In previous art historical periods, sensuality, especially feminine sensuality, was shown using figures from mythology, such as Titian's Venus of Urbino. But with the rise of Orientalism slash Romanticism, women were shown in a more exotic and erotic, to Western Europeans' eyes, setting of a harem. But it had to be a woman from one of the countries listed above. It was taboo to show a Western woman in this guise. For example, Jacques-Louis David showcases a reclining woman in his work, Madame Recamier, but she is fully clothed. Next, I'm going to examine Aang's life and some information on La Grande Adolescence. But first, let's take a quick break.
Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. corruption. Now that we're back, let's dive into a brief biography of Aang. He was born Jean-Auguste Dominique Aang on August 29, 1780. He was the oldest of seven children, and his father was a jack-of-all-trades in the art world, practicing as both a musician and a painter. At the age of 11, Aang was enrolled by his father in the Académie Royale, which I discussed at length in Season 6, so that he could start on his dream of becoming a history painter. This was one of the most popular genres at the time, so it's no surprise that Aang had this aspiration. Six years later, in 1797, Aang secured a position working under Jacques-Louis David. This was a huge deal as David was the leading European artist at this time. This helped Aang's career as in 1801, he won the prestigious Academy Award that would have sent him to Rome to live and study. Before he left, however, Aang was asked to paint a portrait of Napoleon. This further increased his fame and prestige. Once Aang moved to Rome, he found himself deciding to stay abroad. This was because, despite some early successes, his work wasn't well received in Paris. I'll examine this a bit more later, but critics weren't thrilled with the ways he pushed the boundaries of art. This frustrated Aang, and he continued to work abroad. Eventually, however, he did return to Paris. One of his works from this period, The Vow of Louis XIII, won over critics in 1824. At first, it would appear that Aang was back in the good graces of the French art scene. However, his later works received mixed reviews, and he moved back to Rome to take over the academy there. He poured his soul into helping his students learn and succeed. Aang continued to work into old age. In fact, one of his most controversial works, The Turkish Bath, was painted only a few years before his death. Aang died on January 14, 1867 of pneumonia. Today, he is remembered as an artist who wasn't afraid to push the boundaries of his craft. It can be argued that La Grande Arlisque was a work fit for a queen. Why? Well, it was commissioned by Napoleon's sister, Queen Caroline of Naples. If you want to hear about another scandalous art commission by a Bonaparte woman, make sure to check out last season's episode on Venus Victorus. The Bonaparte family as a whole were major patrons of the arts, so it's not shocking that she would commission a work by a famous artist. Queen Caroline also commissioned a second work from Aang to match La Grande Adelisque. It was called Le Dormu de Naples and featured a woman sleeping in the nude. Sadly, it disappeared in 1815 and is only known through sketches. From what art historians can tell, its composition was similar to the surviving piece. As I've mentioned throughout this episode, Aang's work, including this piece, was met with frequent criticism. The perceived, quote, lack of anatomical realism and creative liberties were seen as going against the mold, especially the mold set up by his mentor, Jacques-Louis David. The art critics didn't like the idea of someone questioning what art could be. 
However, this is an incredibly important moment in the history of art. It was one of the first times that we began to see the tides of art change. Suddenly, artists had the freedom to experiment with what art could be. This is the point where rapid experimentation in art starts up and it still continues to this day. La Grande Autolisque is not only a beautiful painting, but it represents an artist's quest toward individuality and experimentation. A wasn't understood at the time, but he certainly left his mark on art history. Next week, I'm continuing our journey through Romanticism with Eugene Delacroix's work, Liberty Leading the People. You don't want to miss out, so make sure you subscribe on your favorite platform. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out for our next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform.